Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jamming you with your daily dose of UFC, and we are back with some UFC stuff. It's been a while. I mean, we haven't had a UFC event since November 18th, and now December's coming up. It's crazy. The, the Wow, just the year. The year has flown by. You know, 2023 has been a pretty good year. Been a, been a nice one UFC-wise, a lot of amazing events. Sports-wise, a lot of good moments in my life personally. I've just experienced just a blessed year with my family, my friends, meeting new people, um, me and my girlfriend still doing good. All my all my family members are healthy. Pets still doing good. Um, just just been a very blessed year and a good semester. We're gonna be talking a bit about my uh, fall semester of my junior year of college as um it it completes next week. But um today was our final day of cl- actual like class, so figured I might as well go go look back at everything I experienced this p- past semester, which is a, it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. Um, of course, going to be talking about NFL Week 13, given my predictions for all the games. We do have six teams on a bye, though, so I believe only 13 games this um, this week, which isn't too bad. It's easier to talk about than when we had to review, uh, I think last week, we recapped Week 11 and gave predictions for Week 12, which that will happen when you do one episode in during a week. But um, yes, we're going to be talking about all of that and stuff I need in fantasy as we're winding down in the fantasy year. I am in four leagues, so that's pretty cool. We'll do a little NHL and NBA league check-in. Just always like to do that, even though we just did one Tuesday. And of course, we'll be capping off the episode with a full preview of UFC Austin. That's right, UFC having a little fight night in Austin, Texas headlined by Benil Dariush and Armin Tezukri in two top 10 uh, lightweights in the men's lightweight division. And um, actually, uh, Benil's number four, I believe. So it's a top five uh, chance for Armin to get into the top five in the co-main event. It was originally supposed to be Dan Hooker versus Bobby Green, two top 15 uh, lightweights. But unfortunately, Dan Hooker had to pull out due to an injury. Fellow top 15 uh, fighter, though, Jalen Turner, stepping in on short notice, just about a week's notice, to take on uh, Bobby Green. So it should be a good one. We'll be talking about all 13 fights as of now. Of course, I record the, uh, I usually record pretty much every week um, on Thursdays. Uh, pretty much Thursday night, so Fridays is when most people will be listening to this. I doubt anyone listens late Thursday when this uploads. But So if any changes happen, as always, to the fighters after they weigh in on Friday, such as uh, cancellations, weight misses, I did not. I was not able to take that into account, so any uh, predictions I make and stats I look at all uh, are uh, related to before that. So without a doubt, let's dive on in with, of course, how we start every episode. I mean, it's, it's just become a staple where we check out some UFC news or just MMA news in general. I mean, huge, huge um, and uh, and what am I trying to say? MMA guy, you know, because like UFC. If I, I've said this many a times, but if no one knows that the the UFC is basically like the NFL, like it's not a sport, it's a league. MMA is actually the sport. So um, that's why we always talk about the UFC because I like the league. Same same for the. Uh, NFL. Like, obviously, I like the sports. I like the sports of um, football and MMA, but I'm more invested in these leagues because they're like, they're the premier leagues. They're the premier leagues. They're what everyone goes to uh, look at. So, a couple of, uh, couple of uh, new announcements is that UFC is apparently going to Mexico, a little UFC Mexico event, February 24th, 
four. Um, the rumored headliner is a rematch between two top five featherweights in the men's featherweight division. Number two ranked Diego Rodriguez and number three Brian Ortega. They fought in July of 2021 and Brian Ortega injured himself in round number one. Um, since then, of course, um, Brian has yet to fight, been battling his injuries. So it's, wow, crazy. Actually, I think it was in 2022. Now that I'm thinking about it, no way it's been that long. I think it was in 2022 the injury happened to Brian Ortega, so it'll be just about probably close to a year and a half since Brian's last fought. But as for Yair, he of course beat, um, what's his face, Josh Emmett for the Men's Interim Featherweight Championship, and then this past summer did lose to Volkanovski, the current champion, Alexander Volkanovski, the great, one of the greatest featherweight champions we've ever seen. Destroyed him through three rounds, but um, Yair will be back hopefully. And in the co-main event, former men's flyweight champion Brandon Moreno is rumored to be taking on number three-ranked Amir Albazi. Brandon's currently the number one contender. That's a big one there, and I've been waiting for both of these guys to get another fight announced. Amir, of course, beat Kaikara France this summer in a close five-round fight night main event. Um, just happy to see both those guys getting back to it, and the UFC going back to Mexico. They always put on amazing cards when they go anywhere. That's just not the UFC apex. Even though I don't mind the UFC apex, they do all right sometimes. It's it's just better when they have a full crowd. You know, you know what I'm saying. In other news, uh, Johanna Jacek, former uh, women's strawweight champion, uh, retired last year in 2022 when she got knocked out in round number two by Zhang Wei Li, is apparently ready to return in 2027. She says she wants to compete in some grappling matches in 2024 and 2025, get back to the MMA things, um, swing of things in 2026, and after her 40th birthday, that's right, her 40th birthday in 2027, she wants to get one more UFC fight in so that'd be pretty incredible she's had a great UFC run she's beaten some greats she's fought some greats it would be cool to see her um back in the UFC Aljamain Sterling former men's bantamweight champion currently the number one contender is apparently moving up to featherweight officially he's officially a featherweight it's just a matter of who he'll fight next but he wants Max Holloway and that is apparently what a lot of other people um, are uh, saying is going to happen. Apparently, he's been also offered number uh, seven ranked Calvin Cater in a main event. So it'd be pretty cool to see Aljamain Sterling against those guys. But if you're getting knocked out by Sean O'Malley, I, I just don't know how you're going to hang with the power of Calvin Cater and Max Holloway. That's just my personal opinion. But uh, Aljamain Sterling is super talented and kind of just wants to get out of Bantuan. Kind of wants to get out of the classic swing of things that everyone deals with um, when they lose the championship because you never know what you're going to do next. Do I fight back to it? Do I move up a weight class? But it feels like Aljamain Sterling's time is over. He had this run from 2020 to 2023, but now it's over. It's the Sean O'Malley show. We know that for certain. Middleweight matchup rumored for UFC 299 between Robert Whitaker and Paulo Costa. Robert ranked number three. Paulo Costa ranked number six in the men's middleweight division. This fight has been, um, gosh, rebooked and canceled, what, twice now? Um, Paulo Costa yet to fight since August of 2022. Robert Whitaker, of course, got TKO'd in round number two by Driscus Duplessis earlier this summer. Um, UFC 299, of course, Sean O'Malley will be taking on Marlon Vera in the main event. That's going to be a good event. 
it's the appetizer before the main course of UFC 300. I'm really hoping, I'm really hoping that this fight gets put through. Robert Wicker posted on Instagram, let's give it another go, was the way he titled it, and he tagged UFC and Paulo Costa. So I'm pretty sure that's the fight that's going to get made. I hope it's made, and I would definitely ride with Robert Whitaker because Paulo Costa has been so inactive, and after starting out his career, I think it was either 11, I think it was 12-0, and 0, actually. I think it was 12-0. and 0. He gets knocked out by Israel Adesanya. He then gets beat by Marvin Vittori, I think. Yeah, then he fought, what, Luke Rockhold? I just, I don't know what's been going on with Paulo Costa. His inactivity has been killing him. I know he got some injuries here and there, but just... Get him back in the octagon. Also rumored for um, March or April in a fight um, in a fight night, like a main event, is number eight Brendan Allen, fresh off his win over Paul Craig in our last UFC event, is rumored to be taking on number four ranked Jared Cannonier. Um, Brendan did state that he will wait until he gets a top five guy. And looking at it, I mean, Marvin Vittori could be an option at five. Jared Cannonier at four. You could even give him Robert Wicker at three. Adesanya obviously will probably be inactive for a while, but that would be a good fight for Brendan Allen. But I really hope that that fight gets made and that it goes through. For Jared Cannonier, though, um, didn't he have a fight coming up and then it get canceled? I think, yeah, he was supposed to fight Roman Dolodize, actually, I think this weekend, and that fight fell through. So hopefully we can see Jared back in the octagon soon. But um, Brendan Allen, a surging star in the middleweight division. Also, um, some call-outs. Shara Magomedov, if anyone remembers him from UFC 294. The man with one eye. He was scary. Beat up Bruno Silva for three rounds. Um, he's um, apparently calling out Marvin Vittori. And Marvin said, you know what? Bring it. Bring it. I'll fight him. So he's calling out the number five guy in the middleweight division after just one UFC fight. Which I like, but I do feel like it's too much of a jump. I do feel like it's too much of a jump. And we've seen recently um, with... Abus Magomedov and Sean Strickland that just throwing a guy in after one dominant win in his UFC debut against a top 10 guy usually does not work out. So I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping that they don't throw Shara right into the mix, but we'll we'll see because you know the UFC likes to likes to mix it up sometimes, but what do I know? What do, what does Zachary know? Not much. Not much, clearly. And the last thing we'll touch on is Benil Dariush says that the UFC told him that they offered the Dustin Poirier fight to him at UFC 295 when John, John Jones pulled out and um, that fight was canceled. And Poirier rejected the fight. But the other Ayush also says that the UFC offered Poirier for the December 2nd main event, which he says Poirier rejected as well. He believes Poirier only wants certain opponents. This comes directly from Benil Dariush. I completely, I can completely see that being a possibility. All right, with, without, without a doubt, I think Dustin Poirier is at a point where he does not just want to fight anyone. Now, he's the number three guy, is coming off a loss to Justin Gaethje. I do think either you chase a fun fight, all right, which first off, Benil Darius fight would have been a fun fight. But you chase a fun fight with like Gilbert Burns, Colby Covington, or freaking, I don't even know who else at welterweight, or you have to fight down. Especially, let's say you got Armin Tezukrian, you got Matus Gamrot, you got Benoit Saint Denis, you got these guys below you, these up and comers who really need to be given an opportunity. I mean, obviously, I love Charles Oliveira. I love Justin Gaethje. Love Dustin Poirier. But these these guys have been here for a while. They're all, I don't want to say they're past their prime, but Dustin Poirier feels past his prime. Justin Gaethje, I, I don't think he's past his prime. And as for Charles Oliveira, he just beat the guy who's fighting this weekend, Benil Dariush, in round number one. So clearly, he's not past their prime. But Dustin Poirier, 
You know, it's it's not looking too good for him. And someone like Michael Chandler, who's ranked number five, no idea how he still has a ranked spot at number five. His two wins in the UFC are over Tony Ferguson and Dan Hooker. So it, it, it's kind of a mystery of what the lightweight division is going to hold. But a huge one this weekend between Benil Dariush and Armin Suzuki. And I'm hoping it's a changing of the guard, but we'll see if Armin can get it done. Also in the MMA world, if no one's been hearing the news about Ian Gary, of course, Ian Gary, the number 10 welterweight contender in the world, fighting Wonderboy Thompson. Oh, no, he's who is he fighting? He's fighting Vicente Luque at UFC 296 in about, what, two weeks, three weeks or something? Um, His wife, who I just learned is 40 years old. All right, now, it's, it's not too bad. I mean, you know, Ian Machado, Gary, a, young, a younger guy, he's in his late 20s. Um, you know, so he, you can like a cougar. She's attractive, but apparently 10 years ago, she wrote a book on how to be a wag, which a wag is apparently wife and girlfriend of a, that's what wag stands for wife and girlfriend of a famous sports athlete. And she wrote how to get a famous sports athlete as your man, as a, as a being his wife or his girlfriend. And I just find it kind of weird. Um, also that her ex-husband lives with them. Okay, her ex-husband lives with them. It's a very, very weird scenario. I have no idea what to make of it. But um, Ian Gary, you know, he was getting called out by Sean Strickland for it. Look, I love Sean Strickland, our middleweight champion. And Ian Gary has given no response. I know Sean Brady, who fights this weekend, currently ranked one spot higher than him, also calling him out, saying, win or lose, I want to fight this guy. But hey, I mean, it's a weird scenario. Personally, it feels like she's a gold digger. It feels like she's a gold digger because you got... Someone in Ian Gary here, he's undefeated, all right? He's been on pay-per-view events now. He's a pay-per-view fighter. Um, he's young. He's making money. He's He has beef now with the welterweight and middleweight champs, okay? So let's say he wins the welterweight championship in the next year or two. He could then call out Sean Strickland if he still the champion. So Ian Gary is in an excellent position. Financially-wise, he's got a lot of options for him. So it's it's just very weird that he could be potentially dating a gold digger. It's a very, very weird scenario. I, I don't even want to give it too much light of day. It reminds me of the Josh Giddy situation in the NBA where he is rumored to have been in sexual relations with an underage girl. Now, obviously, you know, he's 21. The girl was apparently 16 at the time. Or actually, like, just happened or something, but it's just kind of weird to talk about. But obviously, I feel like we have to talk about some of these things, or else, you know, they kind of fly under the radar, and you don't want to turn into something bad. Um, let's see, any other UFC-related uh, news I could touch on? Um, no, I think I'll just leave it with that. A lot of fun stuff in the UFC world. And the MMA world, actually, um, bare-knuckle fighting has an event this weekend. Bare-knuckle fighting, of course, they don't use gloves. They use their freaking bare-knuckle fists. Um, UFC veterans Ben Rothwell and Todd Dunphy were supposed to fight on this card, but unfortunately that, uh, that was canceled due to Ben Rothwell pulling out. But in the main event is former UFC fighters Mike Perry and Eddie Alvarez. Mike Perry, legendary, beating a number of guys in bare knuckle fighting and boxing. Mike Perry, so entertaining. You gotta love him. He, of course, is the guy who brought over COVID during COVID in 2020. Um, in his corner was just his girlfriend. It was just his girlfriend in his corner, and he actually won that fight. Incredible stuff from Mike Perry. Eddie Alvarez, of course, the man, former UFC lightweight champion, uh, the man who lost to Conor McGregor at UFC 205 in brutal fashion. But since then, done pretty well. He picked up a big win over um, Chad Mendes last time out in bare-knuckle fighting. So hopefully, um, 
hopefully he's back and uh, gives us a show. I probably won't watch it. You know, apparently there's a Fortnite event Saturday, UFC's on, a lot of big college football games. I should also get outside, not be a little hermit, go over to my buddy's house. But um, we'll see what's going on there. But yeah, pretty cool stuff there. Um, there's also a women's flyweight championship bout in bare knuckle fighting between Christine Farah and former UFC fighter Beck Rawlings. Now, Beck Rawlings, obviously not the best fighter. I mean, very bad MMA record, but just notable she's now doing that. And also on that card is Jeremy Stevens and Jimmy Rivera, two former UFC fighters, respectively. Both have been in the top 15 of their divisions, and it was actually kind of weird that Jimmy Rivera was a bantamweight and Jeremy Stevens was at one time a lightweight, so now they're both fighting at gosh knows what weight class, but um, entertaining stuff in the bare-knuckle fighting scene. Personally, I like MMA better. I feel like it's safer. Bare-knuckle fighting is just kind of kind of grotesque, you know, it's it's actual fighting, you know, it's, there's not much skill in that, you just stand there, and you just punch each other, it's, it's, it's bare knuckle boxing, essentially, because you don't fall into the ground, you don't throw kicks, it's, it's basically bare knuckle boxing, that's the only way I could describe it, personally, that's all your, uh, MMA news, let's check out, um, let's check out the NBA, any changes in the NBA since we last talked on Tuesday, I don't believe so, um, the Boston Celtics, still the best team in the East, a record of 14-4, and an undefeated 8-0 at home, though. Impressive stuff there. Magic currently in second, 13-5 on an eight-game win streak, 9-1 their last 10. The Bucks are also 13-5 on a three-game win streak. Um, any big jumpers? Brooklyn Nets are now 9-8 on a three-game win streak. The Detroit Pistons, 2-16, 15-game losing streak. Holy cow, they are bad. Wow. Chicago Bulls, five-game losing streak, sitting at 5-14. and 14. Charlotte Hornets lost LaMelo Ball for a couple of weeks there, 5-11 on two-game losing skid. It's um, it's it's pretty it's pretty night and day in the in the NBA Eastern Conference. Um, Cavaliers and Miami Heat both are 10-8. and eight. Um, Miami Heat, though, three-game losing streak. Cavs, two-game winning streak. At the moment, though, Celtics, Magic, and Bucks, your top three teams. 76ers, Knicks, and Pacers in the hunt. In the Western Conference at 13 and 4, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Two game win streak, 8 and 2, their last 10. 8 and 1 at home, not too bad. Still uh, still atop the division by a two, uh, two losses. I believe they have two less losses than the Denver Nuggets, who are in second at 13 and 6. Nuggets, by the way, 9 and 0 at home. Impressive stuff there. They're on a three game win streak. Jokic's been going off. Mavericks and Thunder, both 11 and 6. Thunder, though, on a two game losing streak. Mavericks got a big win over the Rockets. The other night, I saw Luka Doncic was taunting Dylan Brooks. I always I like Luka Doncic. Not a big Dylan Brooks guy. Always love to see that. Suns in the fifth spot, Kings in the sixth. Suns are 11 and 7, Kings are 10 and 7, both coming off of a loss. Interesting stuff from the Suns, man. You know, they should be loaded. And who they got? They got Devin Booker, they got Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal. I know I think Bradley Beal got injured or something, but just interesting to see where these teams are sitting at. Bottom of the conference, Spurs are 3 and 14. 12 game losing streak, 0 and 10. Their last 10, yeah, that would make sense. Grizzlies 4 and 13, actually got a win. The other day, good for the Grizzlies. Warriors, though, 8-10. and 10. It's been a big fall-off for them. And the Clippers, sitting at 8-9, and nine, trying to claw their way back. And the 11-8 and eight Lakers in the seventh seed only because of those eight losses. But season's early. Trying to look at um, the in-season tournament. No idea how the in-season tournament looks. We looked at that a while ago. But all I know is that in Group A, the Pacers are in to the next round. The Cavaliers, 76ers, Hawks, and Pistons are eliminated. 
In Group B, um, the Bucks and the Knicks are both advancing. Heat, Hornets, Wizards eliminated. And in Group C, the Magic, Nets, Raptors, Bulls all eliminated. The Celtics are moving on. So you have the Celtics, Knicks, Bucks, and Pacers all advancing in the in-season tournament. Um, Bucks and Pacers are both 4-0 in in-season tournament games. Interesting stuff there. Timberwolves, despite being the best team in the West, are eliminated from the in-season tournament. Kings are 4-0 in their Group C. Pelicans made it there in Group B. And the Lakers and Suns both made it. Lakers are 4-0 along with the Kings in in-season tournament play. No idea how this in-season tournament works. And if the goal is to get more people to watch, it's just it's not working. No one cares. No one cares, especially when... Especially when it's like an in-season tournament where it's like... Because March Madness is a separate entity after the postseason. But with this, no one really understands it because it's like, okay, one random night, it's like, here's your... um, Here's your... um, What am I trying to say? Here, here's a tournament game where it's also a regular season game. So no one knows what to do with that. It's super awkward. I, I just personally don't care for it. But um, NBA season wages on. In the world of hockey... In the Eastern Conference, the Bruins, the Boston Bruins, are 14-4-3 and with 31 points. They're the top team despite being on a three-game losing streak. In number two, the Florida Panthers, 13-7-2 with 28 points. They're coming off of an overtime loss, I believe it was. Um, interesting stuff there. Um, but uh, yeah, those are the two best teams there. Maple Leafs, Red Wings, and Lightning in three, fourth, and fifth, 25 points respectively. Um, near the bottom of the Atlantic uh, Division, uh, Ottawa Senators, 8-9. Yet to, uh, yet, to, yet to lose in overtime, but uh, also yet to uh, really do much. They're 5-5, five and five, their last 10 on a two-game losing streak. We'll see if they can rebound. Um, the best team, though, in this uh, conference, what, I don't even know, what is the, what is the conference? Um, I'm in divisions right now. I want to go to full conference days. There we go. Ah, the Rangers, best in the Eastern, Eastern and Western. Yes, the Rangers are the best. 16-4-1, only five losses with 33 points. Very nice. They're coming off of a win. Good for them. Um, any big losers or winners? Oh, actually, the Senators are the worst team in that conference. How about that? In the West, the Vegas Golden Knights, the second-best team in the league with a 14-5-4 record. They are coming off of an overtime loss, unfortunately for them. But um, you know what? That's tough. Actually, they've lost back-to-back overtime games. That, that's, that's pretty incredible. Canucks in second with 31 points, 15-7-1 professional record. Avalanche in third, 15-6. and six, um, Have won one game in a shootout. So, oh, how about that? And as for the Minnesota Wild, the one team that I would root for if I was a big hockey guy, are 6-10-4, only 16 points. Finally got a win, snapped like a seven-game losing streak. It's it's tough for them, almost the worst team in the league. Just below them, the 7-13 Chicago Blackhawks with Connor Bedard and the worst team in the NHL, the San Jose Sharks. 5-15-2 with only 12 points, though. They are on a two-game win streak, so looking to, uh, looking to rebound. The team's actually 0-9 on the road. Very, ooh, that's a, that's a gross, that's gross. Um, Rangers are the best team away, I believe, with a 9-2-1 record. Actually better than their home record at 7-2. Hmm, pretty unique stuff there i'll uh, i'll root for um the wild if anything happens but also i like the golden knights i have a golden knights hat at my uh, house 
So if it comes down to that and I have to root for a hockey team, that's probably the hockey team that I would land on. But um, other than that, sports going to be sports. There's going to be a lot of it and little of uh, little of what I, uh, um, I don't know, little of anything else. I don't really know what to say much about. Um, movie Monday, I've actually uh, I've somewhat watched almost full of one movie. I've started another. I'll touch on them Monday. But I will say, you know, you have to be in the mood to really watch a movie because I tried to do it twice with movies and I just lost interest. I ended up going on my phone, going on social media. I ended up just freaking dilly dally and listening to music because some there's just some movies you have to lock in for and be invested into. And I, I like movies. I like giving movies the time of day. But um, the ones I talk about on uh, Monday's episode I'm, are certainly going to be in a category of I was not in the mood for it, and plus they didn't really garner my interest. So we'll talk about that on the next episode of the Surprise Jeb podcast. Um, the ending, the ending of my semester has almost concluded. My final day of classes was today. Of course, if no one knows, I was in the Integrate Business Experience. I know I've mentioned it many a times. My company, Evergrowing Co., we sold uh, high-quality hoodies, and all proceeds went to Mankato Youth Place, which helps uh, underprivileged children in poverty here in Mankato. Um, just amazing experience. Amazing experience. I met so many great people along the way. And, you know, that's why I think I'm going to take away. Like, obviously I have a lot of experience though. I got to go on the radio. I got to go on the news, which uh, honestly, it was just me and another person, both times, two different people, my VP for one, my CEO for another. And just being able to talk, talk, just learn how to talk in front of a camera. Actually, you know, it's one thing being in my room recording a podcast like this with just my mic, just me, but actually being on a news stage or being live on the radio with someone, it's just such a different feeling. You watch everything you say. You certainly speak more formal. It, it has been such an amazing experience. I've learned so many transferable skills, um, trusting others, working as a team, Definitely communication. Communication's been huge here. I feel like I've become more personable when I want to be, that's for certain. Um, but just, yeah, just incredibly blessed. Just been such a blessing being able to meet so many great people. And just, yeah, it's all I can really say. All I can really say is almost so much you can really talk about. I've written so many essays this past week. I'll see if I'm being real. I've written just one too many. And I'm still working on my management final one. I'm on page like 19 of it which is absolutely insane i've written 19 pages of freaking work and i have to create a table of contents for it once i'm fully done i'm basically recapping my semester in management class um also what, what do i got next week i actually have a marketing final which i really need to do good on i'm sitting at 78 percent in the class i know you may be like oh that's a c but first off you need a c you need a C to pass the class. D's don't pass. You need a C, so you need a 70%. And even though I'm 8% above that, you know, I have, after getting a 79% in our first exam, which I personally didn't like, um, I like to get A's and B's, I've then gotten two D's on my next two. And I just don't understand. You know, I take amazing notes. I do a little studying. And then I just get on the exam, and I think all the questions go right. And towards the end, I get my final grade, and it was terrible. But um, I'm hoping I can clutch out a B in the class. Worst case scenario, we get a C and I can at least pass the class. But um, my finance finance exam, I have that Tuesday in person, which is gonna be uh gonna be interesting. I have an 85 percent in that class, but um, finance exams do not play. They're pretty difficult. But I got I think I got a lot of extra credit 
in that class. And then after that, I think we're all having one last party as a company to uh, a little like send off with all the people. And then Wednesday, all my projects are due, all my essays, all my work. And we actually go to the bank and promote, um, or not promote, we give out a check to our charity, our official. I think we're giving like $2,000 to them, which is pretty cool. Pretty nice to give any amount of money. But um, yeah, very excited for that. And then after Wednesday, I'm done. I'm done. My fall semester will be over. It has just been amazing. You know, definitely the highlight is the people I met. Number two is the skills I've had. And just three has been managing it because it's been so different. Um, obviously, my spring semester to round out my junior year, I'm taking six classes, 18 credits in total, grinding out a lot of stuff. It's it's just been it's just been a, such a learning experience. You know, I'm also on the board for marketing club. That's been fun. I apparently have not been doing my job correctly, which which is honestly I was like, what? So I have to. I'm supposed to get a gift from the College of Business to give to any guest speaker we have and get them a um, parking pass. And I've gotten down the gifts, all right? I mean, I've gotten down getting the gifts. But the first time I didn't need to get a parking pass because someone else in the group did it and then or in the club or whatever. And then this past time, I um, got the parking pass from the College of Business or the parking code or whatever for them. And I sent it in our group chat and everyone's like, okay, thanks, thanks. And I thought they were going to send it to the person, but apparently that no one did and they like didn't have like a parking spot or whatever. And I didn't find it out till the end of them done speaking. So I was kind of like, oh, they probably all hate me. But hey, you know what? Don't blame me. Don't blame me. No, no one, no one was specific enough about what I needed to do. But uh, yeah, this has just, it's just been a great time. Just been a great time this semester. And I'm, this is kind of rare. This happened, I think, fall of my sophomore year. Where I was sad. I was sad when a class ended. I think it was my communications class, and I had like this geology class that I also enjoyed. And just this whole semester, I'm kind of sad it's coming to an end. It's just been running a small company, running a startup has just been so much fun. And I think it's just the people I'm with because I really enjoy a majority of the people I'm with. I mean, working with 19 people, I'll say that probably about 10 of them I could see myself being like good friends with after this, or just even though keeping in touch with them. And it's, it's just kind of tough letting it all go. Just kind of like accepting, like it had to come to an end. It is just about coming to an end. I mean, I have no more in-person classes and it's, it's just, I don't know. I don't really know. I, and you know, I keep like sort of stumbling over my words here, maybe even being a little repetitive, but I almost just don't know where to land my thoughts. Like, I don't know how to place how I'm feeling. It's like, it's like, I'm sad it's coming to an end, but I'm happy I got to experience it. I'll have to put that into some chat GPT or some AI to figure out what that actually means. But I'll tell you what um, I do mean to talk to you all about. And that is week 13 of the NFL. We're already in week 13, guys. All right, in correlation to what I just talked about, about the semester ending, we're freaking 13 weeks into the NFL season. I mean, this NFL season has been fun. I've somehow become more invested in NFL season every single year, which continues to amaze me as I think, like, oh, I'm not going to get too into it this year. And yet I continue to um, invest way too much time watching football than I should. But, um, yeah, we got, a, we got a little lineup here of some games. I, of course, have got my predictions. Last weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, of course, I did not win the Pick'em. I didn't win in any of my leagues. I didn't win in my family one for literally no reward. And then I lost in my little three-man with my two buddies where there was a money thing. You know, we pay each other every week depending on what happens. 
I'm uh, I'm a little perplexed at um, some of my decisions, some of the picks I've made. But this week we're back. This week we're back. I'm ready to drop my predictions for you guys, and hopefully we'll go 13 and 0. I think my I think I've had my personal best this um, this year. Let me actually I'm actually gonna go through all my weeks um, about because I think I I think I had like a personal best. I got 14 out of 16 correctly. Yes, that has been my personal best. Week eight of the 2023 to 2024 season has been my personal best, which I take great pride in. I take great pride in. I picked 14 out of 16 correct. What is that? That's seven eighths. I predicted seven eighths. That's um. Gosh, I have no idea what math is, but that's got to be in the 90 percentile, right? Or 80 percent, something like that. But um, yes, Thursday Night Football is actually going on as we speak. But um, of course, I am not watching it. So uh, you know my picks are all, all official. Plus, it's 7.30, so the game started 15 minutes ago. So even if, even if anything like big has happened um, in the first 15 minutes, it won't affect the outcome of the game, most likely. Unless it's like the Jets and Bills where Aaron Rodgers gets hurt on like the second play of the game. Kicking off week 13 of the NFL, we have the Seahawks visiting the Cowboys. This should be an interesting one. Cowboys are sitting at 8-3 with a positive net points of 162, right? Plus 162 in the point differential. Um, 347 points for 185 points against the best defense in the league, the Dallas Cowboys. This is a stork defense. Two might add, they also got Deron Bland, who's the interception or like the pick six leader of the NFL and like all NFL's history. Incredible stuff there. They'll be taking on the Seahawks, of course, sitting at six and five. Um, second in the NFC West. Cowboys are also second in their conference, the NFC East. I don't think either of them are going to win their conference per se. You know, the Seahawks are also minus 20. They're on a two-game losing streak. You got the Cowboys on a three-game winning streak. This is an easy Cowboys pick for me. But, um, you know, anything can happen. Anything can happen. And I say this because every week is truly different. I have seen the Minnesota Vikings pull off historic comebacks against the Saints and against the Falcons. And then I've seen them just absolutely look uh, horrendous against the Broncos and the Bears. So as a as a Vikings fan, glad we're on a bye week. I need to just simmer down for about two weeks of no Vikings football. But then I'll be back when we beat the Raiders come week 14. So, um, yeah, that's to come. But, uh, yeah, Cowboys definitely going to be predicting them to win. Um, personally, I'm playing the Cowboys defense. So I really hope the Cowboys defense, the best defense in the league, does not do well. Of course, I do have the Cowboys kicker, um, the rookie kicker, Brandon Aubrey, in multiple leagues, number two kicker in fantasy. Might I add, I also have Tyler Lockett in a couple of my leagues. Um, I'm playing Tony Pollard. I'm freaking, I'm playing a number of people. My goodness, I, I really got to get my stuff together fantasy-wise um, as the season comes to an end. Um, actually, I'll recap all my leagues real quick before I uh, move along to our next game. In my uh, 12-man league, I started, um, just got a bunch of random people in it. I'm uh, 9-3, number one seed. I was the number one pick, of course. I took Justin Jefferson, still MIA. My boy JJ should be back, though. But yeah, it's been a nice little run, coming off a coming off a nice win last week. This is actually, it's actually crazy. I, I don't even think... 
I'm the top points four in my league. I think I'm, I don't even know what I'm at, but I haven't even scored the most points, but I'm still the number one seed on my girlfriends in this league too. She's three and nine. She didn't check her, check her team some of these weeks. She, so this was her first time playing fantasy, so she didn't know. But my buddy Josh is sitting at eight and four. My buddy Landon at eight and four as well. Um, just to round out the year, you know, I'm going to need some big performances from Jalen Hurts, David Montgomery, Isaiah Pacheco, Calvin Ridley, Taysom Hill, Devontae Smith. Um, defenses, I have the Colts D in this week against Tennessee. I don't know how that's going to pay off, but I do have the Ravens D on my bench. Number two defense in fantasy. They're super good. Once I get JJ back, I'll be chilling. Um, Joshua Dobbs and Alexander Madison are so hit or miss, it's unreal. Both on my bench this week because Vikings are on a bye. But I just I basically don't know if I can if I can play either of them again. Plus, I'm not going to start Joshua Dobbs over Jalen Hurts. Um, so... We'll see what happens in that league. But I am favored to win. Number one seed. In my 10-man $20 buy-in league, I'm sitting at 6-6. Six and six, Currently tied with one, two, three other people for third place. So the four-way tie for third. Um, first pl- for, And first is my cousin's friend, Timmy, who's 12-0. 12-0 in fantasy. His team's ridiculous. He's done so many different trades. First off, let me just read you his team top to bottom. Starting QB, Patrick Mahomes. Alvin Kamara, Isaiah Pacheco, Michael Pittman, Mike Evans, Dalton Schultz, Devin Singletary, Browns D, uh, Dustin Hopkins, okay? His bench, Kenneth Walker III, Jonathan Taylor, Tyler Lockett, Jared Goff, DJ Moore, Cooper Cup, Tyler Higby, Justin Jefferson in the IR. His team's ridiculous. I'm looking to make, I'm looking to make the playoffs. We're going to need some... Um, Big performances to round out this week um, from Trevor Lawrence. Christian McCaffrey is on my team. Saver. Saver right there. Raheem Mostert. I'm still trusting Raheem Mostert. Cortland Sutton. I picked up Rasheed Rice from the Chiefs this week. Taysom Hill as well we got in this league. Joe Mixon. Dolphins defense. Been looking good last two weeks. Matt Gay's my kicker. Mario Cooper's on my bench. Jordan Addison's on my bench. Also got Jerome Ford. T. Higgins is also... I don't know if I should play T. Higgins personally. Uh... Let's see. Last time T. Higgins played was week nine. He did drop 19 points, but it's been so long. It's been so long of him not playing. I don't know how he'll hold up. Um, I also got Sam Howell on my bench, but um, Sam Howell's been kind of falling off. Um, we'll see how we do in that league. In my Mankato league, with all my uh, friends here, another 12-man league, I am uh, also tied in this league. for. I'm actually in third in my division um, I'm tied with my buddy Garrett. Uh, one, two, three spots in the playoffs have been clinched. Was it clinch? Clinch. That is the word. So there's only five left. We do have eight men that make it. There's actually a one, two, three, four, five, six. There's a six-way tie. But I think if we go off of division, the top four teams in each division make it. So I think I should clinch because the guy in fifth because me and Garrett are tied for third again. Fifth is four and eight. Um, so I don't know what's going to go on there. But um, my team in this league is not. Uh, it's pretty bad. And this team this team is taking a lot of hits. But on um, my starting lineup this week, CJ Stroud at QB. DeAndre Swift, Devin Singletary, my RBs. Um, Tyree Kill and Cooper Cup, my wide receivers. Sam Laporta, my tight end. My favorite pickup of the whole year has been Sam Laporta. Chubber Hubbard in at the flex. Dolphins defense again. And we got Brandon Aubrey again. I do have Justin Herbert, but Justin Herbert had a doozy last week, and CJ Stroud has been on the come up, so we're gonna we're gonna ride with CJ this week. Gus Edwards on by this week. I also got Jonu Smith, George Pickens, Brandon Camanis, um, Zach Charbonnet as well. But um he has got him off the waiver wire. That team's kind of brutal. We'll see if we can even make the playoffs. 
And in my six-man all-star league with my mom, dad, cousins. Um, yeah, team is team is not uh, looking too good. This is one of the worst worst I've ever done in fantasy. I'm three and nine in a six-man league, but uh, we all make the playoffs. But it's it's just been a rough year. I want to see the points for points for. I am third in the league, so that should say something about how well I do. Um, my team currently, uh, Dak Prescott in right now, is three points halfway through the first quarter. We'll see how Dak does. Kyrene Williams, one of my favorite running back pickups of the year. Raheem Mostert again. Mike Evans, Debo Samuel, wide receivers. Travis Kelsey. Travis Etienne currently in the flex as he's questionable. Ryan with the Falcons defense this week as Ravens run a bye. And we got Dustin Hopkins as my kicker, number one kicker in fantasy. Derrick Henry's on the bench. Patrick Mahomes is on the bench. Chris Olave's on the bench. Pakua Nakua. Paco Nua, whatever, Adam Thielen, and David Montgomery all on the bench. I love six-man all-star leagues, but at the same time, they're almost too loaded, if I'm being honest. I honestly prefer uh, the 12-man leagues. There's more strategy and skill to it than I think most people give it credit for. But hey, you know, all in a day's work if you're a fantasy football owner, and I am. Managing four teams, not the easiest. Let's get back to our predictions. Of course, we predicted Cowboys over Seahawks. Next up, the Dolphins visit the Commanders. This was an easy pick for me. I'm picking the Dolphins, and I'll go out right now and say why. It's because the Commanders, who are 4-8, tied for actually currently the bottom of the NFC East, one of the worst teams in there, actually probably the third or fourth worst team in the NFC they have a minus 104 net points, which, okay, Sam Howell, as the um, leader in uh, receiving and passing yards for the NFL, has put up 246 points for them. This is the worst defense in the league, giving up 350 points. That's insane. They are 1-4 in their last 5, 0-5 oh in, in their divisional games. This commander's defense is just terrible, which sucks because the offense isn't half too bad. The offense is hit or miss, but there's just nothing to do with this defense. It just gives up too many points, and you're taking on one of, if not the best, offense in the league, the Miami Dolphins, 8-3 and three atop the AFC East, um, plus 88 point differential, put up 339 points currently on the season. They are 6-2 and two in the conference. They've been... They'll be doing pretty good in a little two-game win streak for the Miami Dolphins. I need big things from Tyreek, so um, without a doubt, we'll be riding with the Miami Dolphins in this one. Just one of the best offense in the league, the worst defense in the league. Statistically, you should know who's going to win. Close one next as the Colts visit the Titans. Always a little torn on matchups like this. Colts are 6-5. and five. They have a plus one point differential. How about that? Three-game win streak, though, for the Colts. Titans are sitting at 4-7, and seven minus 39-point differential. It's been kind of rough for them. 0-6 oh, on the road. They are 4-1 at home, though. So this Titans team should be favored at home. But at the same time, the Colts have been just putting stuff together. I think even though Jonathan Taylor is going to be out, Zach Moss can fill that hole. Gardner Minshew, he's got weapons in Pittman, and um, oh my gosh, their new rookie, whatever his freaking name is, the good Colts wide receiver, not coming to mind. But um, they're they're very talented. I trust them, and um, I, I don't know. Just the, I like what the Colts have been doing of late. Titans are so hit or miss, and Derrick Henry has just been falling off. I absolutely hate him. Colts are my prediction. Next up, another divisional matchup as the Panthers visit the Buccaneers. Oh, man. This one's easy. 
This one's easy. Despite being on a two-game losing streak, minus 15-point differential, Baker can't get a win to save his life. The four and seven bucks, I do not see losing. I do not see them losing the Carolina Panthers. They just fired Frank Reich. They're one in 10. They have one win in 11 games. Minus 119-point differential. That's insane. That's insane. They, this is one of the worst offenses in the league. Only scored 173 points on the year. They're 0-6 on the road, 0-7 in the conference. This Panthers team is doomed for easy prediction for the Bucks. I mean, Mike Evans will probably eat this secondary alive. I, I'm gonna pay, I'm gonna put in Chubb Hubbard because I have no other options. I could put in George Pickens. That's actually something I should decide on. Do I want to play George Pickens or do I want to play Chubb Hubbard? That's something I gotta decide by Sunday. But I'm definitely riding with the Buccaneers in this one, especially if the Panthers haven't won on the road yet. Um, I don't think they'll beat the Bucks, but at the same time, it's it's divisional matchups like these that anything can happen. But we're the heart says the Bucks. Interesting one here as the Falcons will be visiting the Jets. The Falcons coming off of a big win last week over the Saints are now sitting at 5-6 and six atop the NFC South, one of the worst divisions in the NFL. Actually, it is the worst division in the NFL. Falcons are number one uh, team in the NFC South with a minus 19-point differential. How about that? They are 3-0 and in divisional play, but we'll be taking on a very good defense here in the New York Jets. Now, the one thing that the Falcons do have going for them is the Jets have an atrocious, atrocious offense. Um, only put up 163 points on the year, 4-7. and seven. Boyle and Wilson just are not a good, not good QBs. Uh, minus 75 point differential that is not good in the slightest jets are uh, two and three on the road though two and four at home hasn't mattered where they play they struggle to play and i think this falcons team is going to capitalize on a bit of momentum i'm going to pick the falcons to beat the jets at home and i mean it was a rough one last week for the jets i mean they just they just got their thing ran through them by the dolphins but uh you know i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna ride with the falcons this week will it pay off probably not but we're still gonna do it Cardinals visit the Steelers in our next matchup. Ooh, a little rematch of the Super Bowl from like what ten years ago. Pretty cool, pretty nifty, pretty cool. Steelers sitting at seven and four, our second in the AFC North with a minus twenty-three point differential. Um, a terrible offense, um, one hundred eighty-two points put up, but a great defense, two hundred five points allowed. This defense has been looking very good. Now Steelers four and two at home, three and two on the road. Doesn't matter where they play, they continue to play. Um, they did fire Matt Canada, though. Seems to have paid off. Uh, Kenny Pickett, George Pickens, Deontay Johnson, Najee Harris, Warren. I mean, Pat Fryermuth, though, is back, so he should be a crucial part of this offense. But all those guys, they're just, they've just been kind of average this year. This is one of the most average 7-4 and four teams. But good for the Steelers, you know? Good for them. I'm, I'm happy that they're doing well. As for the opponents, the Cardinals, I mean, just almost as bad as the Panthers. 2-10, minus 115 point differential. They've given up 321 points. This is not a good defense. 0-6 on the road. Another interesting fact to hit you with. 0-4 in their division, too. I mean, that's that's another stat for you. Two-game losing streak for the Cardinals, putting that against a uh, one-game win streak of the Steelers. I'm going with the Steelers in this one. Just just team-wise, the Steelers have a better team. That's just how I look at it. Lions and Saints both looking to bounce back from losses last week as they will take on each other in New Orleans. 
Um, the Detroit Lions, where are they sitting at? I know they're atop the NFC North. Yes, they're 8-3, uh, 294 points for, 258 points against for a 36-point differential. They are a very nice 4-1 and one on the road, though. Now, they are coming off an awkward loss at home to the Packers. I don't think anyone could have predicted that to happen. I certainly wouldn't have. But nonetheless, the team rallied towards the end, too little, too late. But they did not. They didn't look too bad. As for the Saints, two-game losing streak. They're five and six, seven, um, seven-point differential, seven-point differential. Yeah, that's that's all they have. Um, pretty average team. They just can't finish games well. And a team like the Lions, who tend to usually finish games well, I'm gonna favor our uh, NFC North neighbors, the Detroit Lions. So yeah, we're on with the Lions in that one. Chargers and Patriots, this one I'm very intrigued in. Um, Chargers will be visiting the Patriots. Chargers are bottom of the AFC West, 4-7 and seven with a plus 11 point differential, though. Okay, This team is on a three-game losing streak. They just cannot finish games to save their life. They have lost every week by just about the same number of points. I mean, it's rare you see a team 4-7 and seven with a positive point differential. It just says something that they just have been losing games somehow over and over and over. Good for them, though. They take on the 2-9 and nine Patriots, all right? The worst offense in the league, 148 points put up, 248 points given up for a minus 100-point differential. Pats are 1-5 on the road, 1-4 at home. They're on a four-game losing streak. There's just no chance in hell, Vince McMahon, that the uh, Chargers are going to lose this one. I just if, if they lose this one, Chargers might actually be worse than the Panthers. I'm dead serious. That's just crazy. That's just crazy to me. We're going to ride with the Chargers in this one. A personal favorite for this week, the Broncos take on the Texans in Houston. I love this one, man. You've got Russell Wilson and C.J. Stroud. You've got this wide receiver core, Tank Dell, Nico Collins versus Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. Th- these teams, Devin Singletary versus freaking Javante Williams. I mean, even the defenses have been looking good. These two teams have somehow found their way back into the playoff race. I have no idea how they've done it, but this is going to be an AFC showdown for the ages. The br- uh, what am I looking for? The Broncos, six and five, second in the AFC West on a five-game win streak. Incredible stuff. Only a minus 34 net point differential. You take away the 70 points given up in that one game. This team looks great. You know, the team looks great. The, the, the one game against the Dolphins, of course, in the, what was that, week three or something? But yeah, the Broncos have been looking good. They've been finishing games. They've been freaking slinging the ball. I mean, big 29-12 to 12 win last week. Broncos have been doing it. As for the Texans, you know, a tough loss, a tough loss last week. But this 6-5 and five team, third in the AFC South, is much better than they give. They should be giving credit for. C.J. Stroud has thrown himself not only into the rookie of the year conversation, but the MVP conversation, 27-point uh, differential for this team overall. Positive, by the way. 4-2 and two at home, 2-3 and three on the road. I like the chances for this Houston Texans team, so I'm actually going to pick the Houston Texans to beat the Broncos. Plus, the Broncos beat the Vikings, and I'm petty, and I hate when teams beat the Vikings. So, there's that. Easily going to be our game of the week. The 49ers will visit the Eagles, a battle of two Giants, but one team is more Giant than the other. The Philadelphia Eagles, 10-1, five-game win streak. Absolutely incredible stuff. Plus 64-point differential, 310 points put up for them on the year. Perfect 5-0 and 
at home, by the way. That's incredible. That's incredible stat right there. Jalen Hurts has been putting up an MVP season level worthy of touchdowns. Uh, Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, an amazing receiver record, uh, core, record, uh, a core of wide receivers. And DeAndre Swift has been great in the backfield, along with Kenneth Gainwell, actually. As for the 49ers, atop the NFC West, 8-3, and three, plus 140-point differential. There was at one point they were on a three-game skid. They're now on a three-game win streak. 310 points put up, 170 points allowed. This may be the best defense in the league um, in terms of points given up. Let me just double-check that. Yeah, this team has given up the least amount of points. They've been looking amazing. Um, and this offense, literally, it's like a five-man show. You got Brock Purdy. Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. I mean, you don't you don't need much more for this team to function. It's incredible. Um, they are uh, four and two on the road though, so you know not too shabby. Six and one in the conference, and this one this should be a showdown. But I gotta favor the Eagles. You know, the Eagles have just beaten the Chiefs. They've beaten the Bills. They've just proven over and over they are an excellent team. They're the number one team in the NFL, and I think they should get past this 49ers defense. And plus, I, I see Brock Purdy maybe struggling a bit with this Eagles defense. We'll see what happens. Keeping our uh, actually rounding out our three thirty games, we have the Browns visiting the Rams. And this this is this is an interesting one too. Rams are five and six, two game win streak, minus two point differential after it was way down before. So they've kind of been fighting their way back. Kyrene Williams coming back last week to a thirty-eight point fantasy performance was amazing. They needed that, but just the wide receivers cannot get it done. Despite Matthew Stafford putting up good points, Tutu Atwell pretty much gets like two or three big catches a game. Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua both losing touches. I mean, I don't know what to expect from this Rams team, and especially taking on the Browns, who have a great secondary. Browns, by the way, are third in the AFC North with a 7-4 record, plus 30-point differential. Um, I just don't know what to anticipate. Browns did come off a loss last weekend to, who was it, the Broncos, wasn't it? This offense is atrocious, though, of the Browns. I won't lie. They've lost their starting wide receiver, lost their starting running back, and with a not good QB core, Mari Cooper can't function. David Njoku can only do the best as he can. So that's why I favor the uh, that's why I favor the Rams in this one. I think they're off. Despite the Browns having such amazing defense, I think it's going to be the Browns' offense that loses this game for them. And I think the Rams pick up both their third straight win here. So I'm going to ride with the Rams. Cooper Cup, please do big things this week, but don't don't limit Kyrie Williams too much. Kyrie and Cooper, please cook. All right. Let's get into our Sunday night football game here as we roll along. The Chiefs will visit a Packers, visit the Packers, a Super Bowl one rematch as people will be. You'll hear that a lot and you'll uh, um, hear, probably hear that every time they play a Super Bowl one rematch. Chiefs, though, 8-3, coming off of a win last weekend. 256 points, 481 points given up, plus 75 net point, net, net differential. Um, this defense is very good. The offense is not what it used to be. You know, Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, still the same old, same old. Isaiah Pacheco came out as a stud last week. But uh, you got Rasheed Rice, you know, who who is good, but he's still young. He's still young, so you can't expect too much of him, you know. But this Chiefs team is still immaculate. Um, as for Packers, I don't know how they've done it, but they're on a two-game win streak, 5-6, and six, third in the NFC North, plus seven-point differential. It's not unrealistic. They make the playoffs. But I just don't see this offense being able to handle the Chiefs defense. So we're going with the Chiefs over the Packers. I think this little run the Packers have been on is going to come to an end. Plus, I'm a Packer hater, so there is bias in this. But yeah, I'm going to ride with the Chiefs. Plus, I just think if you're statistically think, thinking, critically thinking even, Patrick Mahomes 
you're, you're better betting uh, for him than against him a majority of the time. In three games this season, though, not quite. Let's round out week 13 with a Monday night matchup between the Bengals and the Jaguars. Bengals visit the Jaguars. You know, with without Joe Burrow, this Bengals team is kind of falling off. You know, they're 5-6 and six and bottom of the FC North. They're not going to make the playoffs. A minus 30-point differential. 0-4 in the division, by the way, but 4-0 in non-conference matchups. Now, this is an AFC conference matchup with the number one team in the AFC South, the 8-3 Jacksonville Jaguars, a plus 29-point differential. This team has just been looking great. They are 3-3 three three at home, though. I do think that's notable compared to their 5-0 and on the road record. They are on a two-game win streak. Trevor Lawrence has been playing to a level he played in college. He's actually been looking like a starting QB in the NFL. Travis Etienne been kind of falling off, hoping he picks up this week. Calvin Ridley, obviously a credible, um, a very usable target pass to him. Christian Kirk as well, super good. And you also got Evan Ingram, a top 10, potential top 5 tight end this season. Jaguars team is looking good without um, Joe Burrow. I just cannot pick the Bengals. So we're going to ride with the Jaguars to round us out. Um, by the way, Ravens, Bills, Bears, Raiders, Vikings, and Giants all on a bye. I know that the Ravens, you know, they probably didn't need a bye. Maybe after a cl- couple close ones, they may need it. Bills definitely need a bye. Raiders definitely need a bye. Vikings definitely need a bye. B- B- Bears and Giants prepare for next season. That's all I can say for you guys. But yeah, you know, um, let me just recap my picks here. Cowboys, Dolphins, Colts, Buccaneers, Falcons, Steelers, Lions, Chargers, Texans, Eagles, Rams, Chiefs, and the Jags. You know, I kind of like it. I kind of like it this week. I don't know what to expect. Anything can happen. But, um, you know, it should be an interesting one. should be an interesting one this weekend. Uh, it kicks off now with the Cowboys and the uh, Seahawks. I mean, um, I was saying a lot. I'm saying um because I'm actually gonna check the score of the game right now. Dak Prescott has a touchdown, 8.36 fantasy points. Brandon Aubrey has four, four fantasy points. Um, it doesn't look like my boy. Uh, what's his freaking name? Tyler Lockett. He has two catches for 13 yards. Okay, so what is that? What is that? 3.3 points. DK Metcalf, two catches, 107 yards, a touchdown. I got to pick up him one of these seasons. He's so good. Cowboys are up 10-7. CD Lamb got a touchdown. What do you know? Tony Pollard, though, four rushes, three yards. Looks like they're holding them in check. We'll see how the game pans out. Still only the second quarter. But, um, yeah, with that, that's all the NFL I got for you, which means there's only one thing left. For me to talk about, and that's my predictions for UFC Austin. I'm going to give my voice a quick break, give the vocal cords a quick break, grab some water, and I'll be back to give my prediction and breakdown of all 13 fights for UFC Austin. Alrighty, and we are back for our uh, last segment to talk about all the fights at UFC Austin. Very happy that we're getting an actual crowd here. The Apex events are always just kind of... Kind of, I don't really know how to phrase it. They just aren't, they just aren't the same without a crowd. You know, having a crowd just makes an event so much better. So um, I'm just very happy. We get a full crowd here, and we're back in UFC Austin. Last time we were here, I don't know if it was a year or two ago, but it was a banger of a card. So um, let's hope this one delivers the same. Kicking off the prelims, we have a woman's flyweight bout between Veronica Hardy and Jamie Lynn Horth. Veronica Hardy is 7-4-1. Jamie Lynn Horth, a perfect 6-0. and 
Five foot seven to five foot four in favor of Jamie Lynn Horth and a 66 to 64 inch reach advantage for Jamie Lynn Horth as well. Southpaw stands for Veronica and an orthodox stands for Horth. Veronica Hardy is 28 years old. She was born in Venezuela, actually, but um, now lives in England, you know. Of her seven victories, one by knockout, two by submission. The rest are all by decision. She actually debuted in the UFC in 2016, and from 2016 to 2019 would lose three times. One of those wasn't fight of the night, decision loss. The other two, she was finished. She picked up her first win with a performance of the night, round one armbar over Poliana Viana back in 2019, but um, 2020 lost the decision. Last time out, though, earlier this year in March, she beat Juliana Miller by unanimous decision, used her grappling in that one, four for four on takedowns for seven minutes and 36 seconds of control time. So she's riding a win into this one, but her opponent, Jamie Lynn Horth, you know, she debuted earlier this year in April. The 33-year-old from British Columbia, Canada, boasts three KOs and two subs of her six victories. Her only non-finish has actually been her UFC debut. She beat Haley Cohen by unanimous decision. It was a close one. Um, She was able to uh, win the first round, but uh, looks like she kind of uh, teetered in the second, but was able to close out in the third. Don't really know what to anticipate from this type of bout, but just judging by the fact that Jamie Lynn is undefeated, 6-0, and you know, Veronica Hardy... Um, has less uh, less wins, or not less wins, but just less um, less of a good streak, we'll say. Uh, we're going to go with uh, Jamie Lynn Horth in this one. But as we know with women's MMA, any, anything can happen. Anything can happen. You, it's usually the opening prelim bout, or uh, I shouldn't even say that. It's usually any woman's bout where you're most likely to find a good underdog and cash some money. Moving into our second prelim on the night, we have a welterweight bout between Wellington, the prodigy Terman, and Jared Knight Train Gooden. Wellington is 18 and 7. Jared is 22 and 9. Uh, six foot, um, oh, actually, both men are six foot, but a 77 inch reach advantage compared to 72 for uh, Jared Gooden. So that's actually five, not a 77 inch reach advantage. He just says has a 77 inch. Both fighters fight unorthodox stance. Wellington Terman, um, he is 27 years old from Piranha, Brazil, actually trains at the same gym as Glover Teixeira, former uh, UFC light heavyweight champion, and Alex Pereira, the current UFC light heavyweight um, champion, the Teixeira gym. And uh, I believe it's Connecticut, actually. So, uh, yeah, when Wellington's not in Brazil, he's here training with Glover Teixeira, former world champions. Amazing. Of his 18 career victories, four by knockout, an impressive eight by submission. He is on a two-fight losing streak, unfortunately. I mean, he's been in the UFC since 2019. Biggest wins probably over Sam Alvey and Misha Serkinov. But um, lost to Andre Petrovsky in 2022. And earlier this year in June, dropped a decision to Randy Brown. We'll see if he can rebound here against Jared Knight Train Gooden. The 29-year-old is from Georgia. 11 KOs and 7 submissions of his 22 victories. Wow, 18 of 22 fights. He has finished, and he actually holds a win over Randy Brown in... um. Uh, in the UFC and outside of the UFC. So pretty impressive stuff for there for Jared. Now he is one and four in the UFC, two fight losing streak. Um, one of those he lost to Randy Brown. The other one he um, uh, lost to Carlston Harris, which was actually earlier in March. Got out grappled in that one against Carlston Harris. Carlston landed five of 12 takedowns for nine minutes and 38 seconds of control time. His one victory, I actually remember that because I predicted it correctly, was in 2021 in July where he got a minute knockout of Nicholas Stolze. 
Losses to Alan Joban, Abu Bakar, Nurmagomedov. I mean, this guy has just kind of lost to the better talent outside of the uh, top uh, 15 uh, welterweight. And, you know, I do think the grappling um, hole will play in favor to Wellington Terman. And I'm going to go with Wellington Terman by submission in this one over Jared Gunn. He's got eight. They're both on two-fight losing streak. The loser is probably getting kicked out of the UFC. We're going to ride with Wellington Terman. Fun one up next, that light heavyweight between Rodolfo Trator Bellato and Ayor Duelist Potera. Ooh, some fun nicknames in this one. Rodolfo is 11-2, and Ayor Potera 19-4. Both men are 6'3", and a 2-inch reach advantage for Rodolfo Bellato, 77 inches to 75. Rodolfo fights an orthodox stance. Ayor stands southpaw. Rodolfo Bellato, uh, the 27-year-old, is from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Um, six knockouts and four subs of his 11 career victories. And he actually is on a little three-fight win streak. Two wins. Um, so he actually lost to Vitor Petrino on um, season six of Daywitz Contender Series. By the way, Vitor Petrino, a crazy good light heavyweight, undefeated at the moment. Good prospect. Um, but he actually bounced back on this past season at Dana West Contender Series with a round two TKO of Murtaza Talha. I actually remember that fight. Nice to see Rodolfo Bellato getting his first career shot. Um, he actually trains at the same gym as Minotoro Nogira, uh, UFC heavyweight legend. Um, oh my gosh, he actually holds two losses to Vitor Petrino. I forgot I wrote that stat down. The man who, uh, the only man to beat him is Vitor Petrino. His two losses are both to that guy. One in the contender series and one outside. Now, as for Ihor Potera, his opponent, he is from Kiev, Ukraine. The 27-year-old has nine KOs and seven submissions of his 19 victories, so 16 out of 19. Finish rate's pretty impressive. Um, he was actually on a 15-fight win streak before losing his UFC debut to Nicola Negomorano in July of 2022. Earlier this year, he actually finished Mauricio Rua in round number one in four minutes. Actually retired the legend Shogun Rua. But then in May, he was obliterated in two minutes by Carlos Ulberg, which is an understandable loss there for Ior Portera. Now, I will say this is this is a tough one for me. It's a tough one because Ior Portera, he holds losses to Nicola and Carlos, but Carlos is literally fighting the top 15 guy next. And that Nicola fight was just a, just a dog fight. Nicola, another guy whose only loss in the UFC is to Carlos Ulberg. So very interesting stuff there. I don't really know who to go with. Your Portera, of course, nine KOs, Rodolfo Bellato. He's been KO'd. He's gotten KOs. It's really tough for me to say. If I'm being honest, I'm going to have to decide here. I'm lucky this isn't on the main card. So this won't count as an official decision. But I do still like to uh, be right. So um, we're going to go. You know, this is Rodolfo's debut. Should be interesting. But if Ayo Patera comes out like how he has in his past few fights, usually um, usually I think he can do good. So we're actually going to go with Ayo Patera in this one. We're going to do this for Ukraine. I don't know if we like Ukraine even. Speaking of like politics and stuff, I have no idea what's going on with world events. You know, Palestine and Israel still confuses me. So, you know, do it for Ukraine, Potera. I don't even know if you guys are in a war. Fourth fight of the evening, featherweight matchup between Steve Mean Machine Garcia and Melkwizal Melk Costa. Melk 
coffee. I have no idea what that means. Got to be Brazilian. Uh, 14 and 5 record for Steve. 20 and 6 record for Costa. 6 foot to 5'10 in favor of Steve Garcia, along with a 75 inch reach to 71 inch reach. 4 inches in favor of Steve Garcia. Both fighters fight southpaw. Steve Garcia, the 31 year old, is from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Of his 14 career victories, 11 by knockout. He actually trains at Jackson Wink MMA. Head coach Greg, Jags, Greg Jackson, legendary um, MMA coach, along with Carlos Condit, Diego Sanchez, and John Jones. So Steve Garcia does train with some heavy hitters there in New Mexico. He's actually on a two-fight win streak. He won on season three of Dana White's Contender Series, did lose his debut by unanimous decision, big win in, um, after that, and then his last loss was in June of 2022 when he got knocked out in one minute and 14 seconds. But since then, um, in October 2022, uh, finished Chase Hooper in round number one, got performance bonus for that, and earlier this year in April beat Shailin Nerdambique by a round two knockout. So this guy knows how to swing. Um, nothing really notable other than, you know, he's... In his UFC career, though, he has been dropped four times... He's actually been dropped five times, but he's dropped his opponents um, four times. So this this guy really likes to stand and bang. Um, his opponent, Melk Rizal, actually um, is uh, 27 years old from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Seven KOs and six subs of his 20 victories, so he gets it done anyway. he is. He actually has vitiligo, which is a skin condition where your pigmentation is kind of off. I know you've probably seen some popular models that have it. You know, some parts are just it's kind of pink. The other parts, it's darker. Everyone kind of has it. Um, he lost to Tiago Moises in his um, debut earlier this year, but that was on short notice. Made it in round two, four minutes in, gets submitted. But he got a full training camp in July and was able to beat Austin Lingo by unanimous decision. Landed 100 significant strikes to 39. So Melk Wiesel, a good fighter. And you know what? I kind of like to root for guys like him. So we're going to pick Melk Wiesel Costa to, uh, we'll say he knocks out Steve Garcia. Steve Garcia seems to have an iffy chin. You know, if he catches you, you're going out. But if you catch him, you could potentially put him out. So I could maybe see Melk Wiesel knocking down Steve, then submitting him. We'll see what happens. Number five fight of the evening on the prelims. Ooh, one of my uh, favorite um, unranked lightweights. Back for another one. Drakkar Close takes on Joe Solecki. Drakkar Close, 13-2-1, only two losses of his 16 professional bouts. Joe Solecki, as well, has 16 victories. Or no, 16 professional fights. 13-3 and three, um, is his record. Both fighters are 5'9". Both fighters have a 70-inch reach. And both fighters fight orthodox. The matchmakers outdid themselves on this one. We'll start with Joe Selecki. Joe is 30 years old from North Carolina. He actually trains at Jim O with Brian Barberina of his 13 victories. One by knockout. Impressive eight by submission. Joe is actually an impressive 5-1 and one in the UFC and won on Season 3 in Dana White's Contender Series. Biggest UFC win is probably over Austin Hubbard. Um, rear naked choke did him in August 2022. Austin Hubbard, by the way, runner-up on the past season of um, The Ultimate Fighter. He'll win over Jim Miller in 2021. Only UFC losses to Jared Gordon by split decision. Other than that, he uh, actually beat Carl Deaton by submission earlier this year in February. Good stuff from Joe Solecki, but he takes on Drakkar Klaus, who is, um, he's a scrappy fella. From Glendale, Arizona, the 35-year-old trains at Fight Ready MMA with the Korean Zombie and Henry Cejudo. Of his 13 victories, he's gotten five by knockout. Um, debuted in 2017, getting two wins, one over Mark Diakise before dropping his first career loss to David Timor by unanimous decision. He would pick up three more wins, wins over Leonardo Vanata, 
Bobby Green, who fights this weekend, and Christos Giagos for suffering his second career loss in one of the craziest comebacks you'll ever see against Benil Dariush at UFC 248. He would take two years off and return with a round two TKO performance of the night against Brandon Jenkins. He also fought in July of that year and beat Hoffa Garcia. Impressive win for Drakkar Kalos, but he hasn't fought in over a year. Finally going to get to see him back in action. This is a tough one, guys. These guys are very similar. Both like takedowns, both like to strike. But, you know, Joe Selecki is definitely more takedown heavy. I will say earlier this year in the Carl Deaton fight, it was really, um, the takedowns were the game plan. I mean, round one, one of two on takedowns for four minutes and 26 seconds. Round two, one of one on takedowns for four minutes and 25 seconds. So Joe does not like to keep this on the feet, but I do favor Jakar if it's on the feet um, in the Hoffa Garcia fight, even though it was over a year ago. We can kind of look at that Jakar was looking better in the striking department, but was still getting taken down. So this this is just going to come down to who can keep this in their realm? Who can keep this in their realm better? Which is either Jakar on the feet, I feel, or Joe Selecki on the ground. And if it was up to me, you know, I'm going to ride with Jakar Kloss. I kind of like the guy. His uh, He almost knocked out Benil Dariush. He's gotten two wins since then. And, you know, Joe Selecki, he was dropped in that Alex De Silva fight in June of 2022. So his chin isn't invincible. Jakar, I think you can use your takedown defense to your advantage and win this fight. Another good one coming at you next on the prelims between Zach Savage Reese and Cody Brundage. You know, I, I like that name, Zach Reese. You know, I wish I knew a dashingly handsome guy who was named uh, Zach. Oh, oh, wait, I do. That's me. Zach Reese, a perfect six and oh. Cody Brundage, nine and five. Zach Reese is six foot four. Cody is six foot, 77 inches in reach for Zach, 72 for Cody. Four inches in height, five inches in reach. A switch stands for Zach Reese, an orthodox for Cody. This one's going to be interesting. We'll start with um, Cody. Actually, we'll start. Let's start with uh, Cody Brundage here. Cody Brundage, the 29-year-old, is from Colorado. Trains at Factory X Muay Thai with Anthony Smith, Dustin Jacoby, and Brandon Roy Val. He boasts four KOs and three subs of his nine career victories. So only two fights. He hasn't won by, um, uh, what's it called? Someone help me. By finish. Debuted in um, the On Danuets Contender Series in 2020, lost to William Knight. Then a year later, was able to get on a short notice fight against Nick Maximoff, lost that. Then picked up two wins over Dolce Luciambula and Treshawn Gore, both round one in 2022 before rounding out 2022 with a round one knockout loss. Then earlier this year in April, got submitted in round number two. And in June of this year, despite landing two takedowns against Cedric Dumas, was out-controlled for 11 minutes and 8 seconds. Incredible stuff. Last fought in September. Won a DQ against Jacob Malkoon, and all I can tell you is John Jones' is only professional loss to Phil whatever. In that fight, John Jones was dominating, and he was landing so many punches, and eventually he landed an illegal elbow and lost the fight because of it. That's the exact thing that happened. The ref should have stopped the fight a number of times. Cody Brundage won by DQ. It was BS, so they're feeding him to this rising prospect, Zach Reese. Zach Reese, the 29-year-old as well, is from Texas. Four KOs and two subs of his six professional victories. And by the way, they've all been in round one, and three of his six victories have been in under a minute. And two more of those in under two minutes. So farthest this guy's ever gone is four minutes into the first round. Zach Reese won on Dana White's Contender Series um, in August. He was on episode three, got a round one armbar in a minute and 14 seconds against Eli Oronoff. Zach Reese is incredible. 
I'm predicting around one knockout of Cody Brundage, and I'm hoping for it. I'm hoping for it. Cody Brundage is kind of a villain now. After that Jacob Malcolm DQ win and Zach Reese, I just, I like this guy. I watched him fight on the Dan White's Contender Series. I remember it, and I'm here for it. I'll be rooting for you, buddy. Let's get it. And with that, we are into our final prelim of the night, and it is a interesting one. We get ranked women's bantamweights as number 13 ranked Julia Avila takes on number 12 ranked and former women's bantamweight champion Misha Tate. This one should be an interesting one without a doubt. Misha T- Cupcake Tate, 19-9. Uh, and Julia Raging Panda Avila, 9-2. and two. Oh, Interesting names. 5'7 to 5'6. Julia has a 1-inch height advantage and 68-inch 8-inch reach to 65. Julia Avila holds a 3-inch reach advantage. Both fighters are orthodox. Misha Tate, ladies and gentlemen, Cupcake Tate. I mean, UFC legend of the game. Been in the UFC since 2008, back in the Strikeforce days. She's 37. She's from the beautiful state of Washington. She trains at Extreme Couture. Um, same gym as Sean Strickland. Of her 19 career victories, 4 by knockout, 7 by submission. She is on a two-fight skid. Um, losses in 2021 to Ketlin Vieira, and she lost in 2022 to Lauren Murphy in a brief stint at Women's Flyweight. Let's talk about some of her accomplishments, man, because she was actually a champion in Strike Force. Um, she's beaten, uh, she's fought Ronda Rousey a number of times, actually gave Ronda Rousey the toughest fight of her career before losing to uh, Holly Holmes, had a fight the night against her. Beaten Liz Mooch, beaten Sarah McMahon, beat Jess Guy, actually submitted Holly Holmes for the title. And uh, with a minute and 30 seconds left in 2016. Obviously lost Amanda Nunes. But um, her last win came in a performance in the night bonus um, over Marine Renault. Actually retired her in July of 2021. But since then, Misha Tate is yet to win. Her opponent, Julia Avila, coming off of a win over Julija Storyalenko in June of 2021, submitted her in round number three with a rear naked chokehold, is 35, and she um, is actually from Oklahoma and attended college at Notre Dame. Fun fact. Of her nine career victories, four by knockout, two by sub. Debuted in 2019 with a win over Pan Kianziad. Pan Kianziad is actually ranked number seven in the women's bandweight division. Beat Gina Mazzani after that with a round one. Actually, a 22-second TKO. That's impressive. For dropping a decision loss to Ciara Eubanks. Beating Julia Storyalenko, as I mentioned, was a big win for her. But after being inactive for two years, she's fallen down the rankings. She now sits at 13. She takes on Misha Tate. This feels like a changing of the guard. I got Julia Avila by unanimous decision. And, you know, there was a time where Misha Tate was being considered for a title shot. Those days are long over. She's kind of in a gatekeeper role now, or even just to do fun fights. I don't know what she's still fighting for. You know, she actually has enough money, or maybe she doesn't. Maybe that's why she's fighting. But uh, we'll see what happens. But I wish both these ladies luck as they round out our prelims. And that's where we get to drum roll, please, into our sixth fight main card as of today. Um, should be a good one. All of these predictions are official and go down to my official predictions book, which we'll have to look at because... Um, I haven't really been uh, mentioning my uh, stats on the um, on how many I have for the year correct, all-time correct. But we always mention how good we did on our episode recaps. But uh, yeah, let's waste no time and let's dive into it as we kick it off with a middleweight matchup between Punaheli Puna Soriano and Dustin Stoltzfus. Stoltzfus? I think that's how you say his name. 
Punahelli is nine and three. Dustin is fourteen and five. Six foot to five eleven in favor of Dustin and a seventy-five inch reach to, to a seventy-two inch reach in favor of Dustin as well. Punahelli fights Southpaw. Dustin fights Orthodox. Let's kick it off with uh, Punahelli Soriano. Punahelli, man, he's 20, actually he's 31 years old, from Hawaii, is also trains at Extreme Couture with uh, Misha Tate, Sean Strickland, Chris Curtis, all the boys. Um, six KOs and two subs of his nine victories, so he's only been the distance once. That was actually on the Dana White's Contender Series Season 3 in 2019 where he won. He would then debut over um, in 2019 with a round one knockout. In 2021, after a two-year layoff, he would get another round one knockout for suffering his first career defeat to Brendan Allen. That is right, the man who uh, last got a big win over Paul Craig, so that's not too bad to lose to. After that, got outgrappled by uh, Nick Maximoff, but did show some prowess on the feet. In July of 2022, he got his last win with a performance of the night round two knockout. Last time out in January on the first event of the year, he would get head kicked knockout. Had kicked, got knocked, he got head kicked, knocked out by Roman Kopilov. Roman Kopilov is on an absolute run of a lifetime with four straight ROM finishes and two of those being head kicks. So uh, it's not too bad, Punelli. Don't let that stop you. Don't let that deter you. His opponent, Dustin Stolfus, 32-year-old, is from Pennsylvania. And of his 14 career victories, two KOs and five subs. This is a decision machine. Actually, he holds a win over Joe Pfeiffer on Dana White's Contender Series Season 4. That was due to an injury. So, I mean, it's not really an official victory. He would then lose his first three UFC fights. All right, first three UFC fights. Drop a decision to Kyle Dawkins, get submitted by Rodolfo Vero. In a fight he was winning, by the way. He was winning that Rodolfo Vero fight and got submitted. But I did predict. Uh, that Rodolfo to win that, so that was a good win. And the same thing happened when he got submitted by Gerald Mearshart in 2021. Picked up his only UFC win over Dwight Grant in 2022 by unanimous decision. Last time out, September 3rd, 2022, he got knocked out by Abus Magomedov in 19 seconds. That's a crazy 19-second fight, by the way. Abus ran through him, which is what I think is going to happen here. I think that Punali Soriano is going to show some improvements, come out, Round one, maybe not put him away, but round two, after the after kind of getting a feel for it, gets the round two knockout. We got Punahelli Soriano with a round two knockout. You just love to see it. Let's keep it rolling, gentlemen, with a lightweight bout up next between Clay the Carpenter Guida and Joaquim Neto BJJ Silva. Ooh. Clay Guida is 38 and 20. Absolutely incredible. Joaquim Silva, 12 and 5. 5'8, five 5'7, five one inch for uh, Joaquim, and 69 to 70, one inch in favor of Clay. Clay fights Orthodox. Joaquim Silva fights Southpaw. If you heard, uh, if you heard what I said correctly, that is right. Clay Guida has 58 professional bouts. Incredible. Actually, on the one side I was using, apparently, apparently he had 61, but no. It's 58. Still an incredible achievement. Clay Guida been doing it for a long time. The 41-year-old is from Illinois. Um, out of his 58 fights, though, five knockouts, 16 subs. He hasn't gotten too many finishes, but when he does, it's a submission. We could take our, oh my gosh, we could go back all the way with Clay Guida to Strike Force. He actually won the lightweight championship at Strike Force, which is incredible. Came into the UFC in the 2006 or 7. It was absolutely incredible. It actually holds wins over uh, Nate Diaz, Rafael Dos Anjos, Anthony Pettis, 
Joel Lazone, BJ Penn, Michael Johnson. Um, last win came over uh, Scott Holtzman by split decision in 2022. And he actually, um, last time out of this year, he lost to Hoffa Garcia by unanimous decision. As of late, Clay's gone win-loss, win-loss since 2020. So we'll see how he does in this one against Joaquim Silva. Joaquim is 34 years old from Brazil of his 12 victories, 7 by knockout, 3 by sub. So uh, 5 out of 6 finish rate. What is that? It's got to be in the 80 percentile. I don't know. Joakim Silva debuted in 2015. Um, biggest win in the UFC, probably over Jared Gordon. Had a fight of the night uh, finish of him in round number three. Losses to Nazareth and Ricky Glenn in the 2019 and 2021. Last win came against Jesse Ronson in 2022. Got a round two flying knee KO. And he actually lost to the man in the main event, Armin Tezukrian, last time out in June. He took that fight on somewhat short notice. Got destroyed, but actually clipped him in round two. Almost put him out of there, but nonetheless, Armin was too good. You know me. I like to be a gambling man, and honestly, I just don't care for Joakim Silva. I like Clay Guida, and you know, I always make my predictions on the Verdict MMA app. Follow me, ZR2002. I encourage it. If you're a fight fan, this is for you. Um, I'm going Clay Guida, round two submission. You know what? It's it's due to hit. It's due to hit. Clay Guida got a round two submission back in 2021. Um, and he's just been the distance in every other fight. So uh, I'm rooting for you, Clay. Hope you can get done. 41 years old. If you can win this fight, man, that would be incredible. And with that, we get into our four-fight spectacle. Should have been more. We've had some unfortunate pullouts, of course. Jared Kennier and Roman Dolodize. You've had Azamat Merzikhanov and Khalil Roundtree Jr. Dan Hooker pulling out of this um, fight with Bobby Green. A lot of cancellations have hit this event. But nonetheless, as of today, Thursday at 8.47 at night, November 30th, um, we... Uh, we uh, await. We get, we get some good fights, though. That's what I'm trying to say. Welterweight matchup up next. And guess what? It's ranked opponents. That is right. I, I love ranked opponents. I love when the I love when they're ranked. It makes it so much more fun. Sean Brady takes on Calvin Gaslam. Sean Brady, the number nine welterweight in the world, welcomes number 11 ranked middleweight Calvin Gaslam back to the welterweight division. Calvin hasn't been there in years. I believe he started his UFC tenure there. But it's been so long. Sean Brady, 15-1. Calvin Gastelum, 18-8 with a no contest. 5-10-5-9 in favor of Sean. 72-inch reach to 71-inch reach in favor of Sean. Orthodox stance for Sean. Southpaw for Calvin Gastelum. Always love matchups like that. Sean Brady, your number nine welterweight in the world. The 31-year-old is from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Three KOs and four subs of his 15 victories. So he is a decision machine. Trains with uh, Henzo Grassi. Enzo Grassi, a notable gym. Um, a lot of the Grassies trained there, by the way. So this is a big BJJ guy. Debuted in 2019, beating Court McGee by unanimous decision. Picked up a couple of other wins. Finally got a big win over Jake Matthews in 2021. Submitted him in round number three. And the biggest win and his last win of his career came against Michael Chiesa in November of 2021. Beat him by unanimous decision. Outgrappled him beautifully for the first two rounds, but lost the third round just about halfway through. We'll see how he does. Um, he's back. He last fought in October 2022. Actually got uh, standing TKO'd by Bilal Muhammad. So that's pretty brutal for Sean Brady. That was probably the biggest win of Bilal Muhammad's career, if I'm being honest. But, um, you know, he's back. He's ready for vengeance. And his opponent, Kelvin Gaslam. That's right, the number 11 ranked middleweight in the world, drops down. Coming off a big win over Chris Curtis back in April. Um, that was a after a two-year layoff for him. Uh, one fight of the night and uh, won the fight by unanimous decision. Calvin is um, 32 years old. He was born in California. 
but now calls Arizona home. Five KOs and five subs make up 18 of his victories. And I mean, Calvin's been doing this a long time. For 32 years old, he has an incredible resume. Won the Ultimate Fighter by beating Uriah Hall. Um, beat Rick Story in 2014. Uh, submitted Jake Ellingerberger in round number one in 2014. Um, actually, yeah, lost to Tyrone Woodley in 2015 by split decision at welterweight. That's crazy. Went over Nate Marquardt at welterweight. Lost to Neil Magny by split decision. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is... Calvin Gaslam's a dog, okay? Wins over Johnny Hendricks, Tim Kennedy. Uh, of course, retired Michael Bisping, beat Jacare Souza. Then fought Israel Adesanya for the interim uh, middleweight championship, one of the greatest fights you'll ever see. Uh, lost that fight, got dropped four times, which showed incredible heart. Then lost the split decision to uh, Darren Till, still debated. Gets heel hooked by Jacker Manchin. That would be Ian Heinish in 2021. Following that, he would take back to back short notice fights against Robert Whitaker and Jared Kandier. He would obviously lose both of those fights, but showed the heart that he has. Beating Chris Curtis, man, I, um, you know, I was riding with Sean Brady all week, but there's just, I just don't think I can bet against Sean, Calvin Gaslam. I just don't think I can. I think it's going to go the distance. I think it's going to go the distance, but knowing how good Calvin Castellum is and how hard he hits, first off, Sean Brady, he obviously improved his striking. He obviously improved his striking defense since his loss to Bilal Muhammad. But, I mean, you get, you got a guy here in Calvin Castellum who's gone toe-to-toe with Adesanya. Adesanya couldn't finish him. Darren Till, Darren Till couldn't finish him. Robert Whitaker couldn't finish him. Jared Kanier couldn't finish him. The only guy who's been able to finish him was Jack Manson, who heel-hooked him a minute, 18 seconds in. Okay, that's the, That's been the only guy in the recent past years. All right. The next time a guy finished him was in 2017. Chris Weidman submitted him in round number three in a fight Calvin was winning. So Calvin's a dog. He proved it against Chris Curtis. And, you know, I've been convinced after reading through all these stats right now that I'm going to go with Calvin Gaslam. I love it. I freaking love it, man. I'm here for it. I am here for it. Uh, in our uh, third to last fight of the evening, another absolutely beautiful one crafted by the matchmakers as we have Rob Font taking on Davison Figueredo, Rob Font, the number eight bantamweight in the world, takes on the number two flyweight and former flyweight champion, Davison Figueredo, as Davison drops down to bantamweight for the first time in his career. Rob Font, Davison Deus da Guerra, Figueredo, which means God of War, I think, or just like God of Death or something. It means War something. Rob is 20 and 7. Davison, 21, 3 and 1. 5'8 to 5'5, so 3 inches in height for Rob. And 71 to reach to 68 in favor of Rob as well. Both fighters fight Orthodox. Rob Font, the bantamweight, 36 years of old. He was born in Florida, but now calls Boston his home. Of course, trains at the New England Cartel uh, with Calvin Cater. Those are the two big names from that uh, group. Nine KOs and four subs for him. All right, of his 20 victories, he has finished 13 of them. Not too shabby. Um, big KO guy, Rob Font, been in the UFC. A hot minute since 2014. Finally got a big win over Matt Schnell in 2016. He's a ranked flyweight at the moment. Um, losses to Pedro Munoz and Rafael Sancho kind of derailed him. But from 2018 to 2021, got big wins over Sergio Pettis, Ricky Simone, a finish of Marlins Marais, and a fight, a main event win over Cody Garbrandt for dropping back-to-back uh, main events against Jose Aldo and Marlon Vera. Got dropped a lot in those. But earlier this year in April, managed to knock out surging prospect Adrian Yanez in three minutes, earning himself a performance bonus. He took a short-notice fight against Corey Sanhagen in August of this year. Um, unfortunately, got brutally outgrappled in that fight. So I just want you to know, 
Last time out, he was out grappled for 19 minutes and 38 seconds of control time. That is that is really bad. And that's a noble statistic against a guy in Davis and Figueiredo who can also kind of do it all. 35-year-old is from Brazil, and of his 21 victories, 9 by knockout, 8 by sub. Absolutely amazing. Davison is a treasure. Been in the UFC since 2017. I mean, he's beaten some of the greats. John Moraga, uh, his first career defeat was to Juice Formiga back in 2019. Would then go on a crazy five-fight win streak, beating current champion Alexander Pantoja, submitting to Melian in round number one, knocking out Jose Benavidez in round number two, which was a pretty close fight in round number one. And then their rematch for the flyweight championship, he would absolutely destroy Jose Benavidez in round number one. First title defense, he would submit Alex Perez in just under two minutes, having a crazy, crazy quadrilogy. Quadrilogy. So just this is a fun fact for you. Devison Figueredo has not fought a man named Brandon Moreno. Has not fought anyone since. So he's fought in Brandon Moreno four times in four years. So this will be the first opponent he's fought that isn't Brandon Moreno since November of 2020. That's insane. That's insane. Of course, Moreno would beat him for the belt in June of 2021. Figueredo would get it back in 2022. Earlier this year, in uh, January, he would lose the belt after his eye just completely shut up. He was brutalized. He was battered. And after round three, the doctor said, that's that. Davidson, though, he's got a new weight class. This guy likes control time. He likes to punch. He likes to scrap. And honestly... I like his chances in this one. I like his chances on the feet. He hits hard. I hope the drop to bantamweight goes well, or the rise to bantamweight goes well. It's usually dropping down in weight that fighters kind of struggle. I think Calvin will succeed, and I think Davison will succeed. I think our uh, newcomers to divisions are going to do well tonight. So we're picking Davison Figueredo, but I'm going to go by unanimous decision. I think, if anything, he might get in trouble on the feet and go for takedowns, and he should have better takedowns than Rob Vaughn, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'll be rooting for you, though. I love you, Davison. Let's get into our co-main event, what should have been Dan Hooker versus Bobby Green. Sadly, it has turned into a still a good fight, but, you know, it's unfortunate Dan Hooker got injured. Number 13-ranked Bobby Green and number 12-ranked Jalen Turner do battle in the co-main event, a lightweight division matchup on hand. Um, Jalen the Tarantula Turner and Bobby King Green. I love the nicknames. Jalen is 13-7. Bobby Green, 31-14-1 with one no contest. That is right. An impressive 47 professional bouts for Bobby Green. 6'3 to 5'10. It is a crazy 5-inch height advantage for Jalen Turner and a 6-inch reach advantage for him. 77 inches to 71. Southpaw stands for Jalen Turner. Uh, Orthodox for Bobby King Green. Jalen Turner. The Tarantula, 28 years old from California, nine KOs and four subs of his 13 career victories. That's a 100% finish rate. Now, Jalen Turner been in the UFC since uh, 2018, actually won in the season two of Damage Contender Series, lost his debut to Vicente Luque. Of course, he was fighting at welterweight. Um, after after uh, dropping down to lightweight, he did lose to Matt Frivola in 2019, but after that, followed it up with five straight wins. By the way, all of those finishes Round two TKO of Josh Culiabo. Round two submission of Brock Weaver. Round one submission of Euros Medic. Round two knockout of Jamie Malarkey. And probably the biggest win of his career. A round one performance of the night. Guillotine choke in 45 seconds over Brad Riddell. Now, so far this year, he is 0-2. But both of those are split decisions to Matus Gamrot and Dan Hooker. And both those fights are very notable for one reason. And that is the gas tank of Jalen Turner. Now, 
Now, if we look at the Matus Gamrot fight, Matus um, did out grapple him um, in round number one. Uh, Matus uh, got dropped, so Jalen has good hands. Um, round two, though, Jalen looking good on the feet, getting out grappled. Round number three, just completely gassed. Matus took advantage, would out grapple him. Now, in the rematch, in not the rematch, but his next time out in July against Dan Hooker, same thing happened. Uh, almost got Dan out of there in round number one. I have no idea how Dan survived. Round number two, even more brutal, but Jalen started to fade halfway through. And round three, no one knew how Jalen Turner was even hanging in it. Completely faded, lost the gas tank, and Dan Hooker won. So this is all going to come down to, can Jalen Turner's gas tank match up against Bobby Green? And Bobby King Green, the 37-year-old, is also from California and boasts 11 knockouts and 9 subs of his 31 career victories. Currently riding a two-fight win streak. I mean, let me just touch on the career of Bobby King Green, who's been in the UFC since Affliction, all right? that's That was before Strikeforce. Affliction was before Strikeforce, and this boy was also in Strikeforce. Um, has beaten uh, James Cross. He's beaten Pat Healy, um, Clay Guida, Lando Venata, Ally Quinta, Nazrat Hakpasarat. This guy's been going crazy lately. Fought Islam Makachev on short notice. Oh, fought Drew Dober. I mean, this guy's been a dog. Had an interesting 2023 in April of this year. Beat a loss to Jared Gordon. I oh, know there was a no contest against Jared Gordon. Um, they clashed heads. Jared couldn't continue. Bobby Green fight was ruled a no contest. Was pissed, so they gave him Tony Ferguson at UFC 291, and he did not disappoint. Absolutely brutalized Tony. Submitted him in round number three to get a performance of the night bonus, and then got another performance of the night bonus. His last time out in October, he had an unexpected main event against Grant Dawson. Most people thought he was going to get destroyed, including myself. Instead, he knocked out Grant in 33 seconds. And now Bobby's back. Supposed to be fighting Dan Hooker. Instead, he gets Jalen Turner, and I do think that is a disadvantage for Bobby. I do think Jalen's going to get a hold of his neck and submit him in round number one. I'm riding with Jalen Turner in this one. I just, I just kind of like it. You know, I kind of like we're taking, we're taking Punaheli Soriano to bounce back against Dustin Stolfus. We're taking 41-year-old Clay Guida to get another submission. We're taking Calvin Gastelum dropping down in weight. We're taking Davis and Figueredo jumping up in weight, and we're taking Jalen Turner. On a week's notice. That's just the type of guy we are when it comes to picks. And wow, with that, we are now on to our main event. The final part of not only this episode, but also the event. As Armin Tazukrian will take on Benil Dariush. Armin is ranked number 8. Benil is ranked number 4. The winner could be ranked number 3. I kid you not. Benil Dariush and Armin Ahakalats Tazukrian. Wow, I have no idea. What that word means. Benil is 22-5-1. Army is 20-3. 5-10-5-7. inches in favor of Benil for height and 72-inch reach for both the men. Orthodox stands for Armin and Southpaw for Benil Dariush. Benil Dariush was born in Iran, but the 34-year-old now calls California. Home, he trains at King's MMA with uh, notable guys, Rafael Dos Anjos, Shogun Hua, Giga Chikadze. Trains with some good guys. Of his 22 career victories, 5 by knockout, 8 by sub. He gets it done in a number of ways. Benil, been in the UFC a long time, since 2014. Um, wins over Diego Ferreira, Jim Miller, Michael Johnson, James Vick, Tiago Moises, Drew Dober, um, Tricar Claus, Diego Ferreira again, Tony Ferguson, Matus Gamera. 
He's fought a number of guys. He's actually on a crazy eight-bite win streak before losing to Charles Oliveira earlier this year in June. Got knocked out in round number one after taking him down and looking good. But, man, nothing to do against uh, Charles Charles Oliveira, the lion that is Charles Oliveira. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we know he's good. He's beaten Matus Gamrot. He's beaten Tony Ferguson, beaten Diego Ferreira. This guy's a killer. All right. The spinning back fists of Scott Holtzman, the comebacks against Jakar Klaus, the arm bars of Drew Dober. Benil is a national treasure. But there's a certain man we are riding with in this one. That is the 27-year-old from Armenia who now trains in Russia. Eight KOs and five subs of his 20 victories. Armin Ahakalats Tazugrian. Actually, Let's uh let's look up what that means. Let's actually look up what his nickname means. I'm kind of hoping it's like badass or something. We'll uh, we'll see though. Um, he popped up. That's not what I wanted. That is uh oh here we go. Uh, What's the meaning? Diamond Armin Tazukrian's uh nickname Mahakalats or whatever. Um okay. Um, uh, the exact meaning behind this unique nickname is not clear. It seems to be connected to his birthplace. He was born in Georgia, apparently, in 1996. The name of the town he was in is Akhalkalaki, which is similar, but, um, credits Armenia as home? I have no freaking clue. So I guess no one knows why his nickname is Akhalats, whatever, but nonetheless, this boy is a mother trucking killer. Let me just tell you that, my Goodness, I mean, dude dude debuted against Islam Makachev, took him to a decision in a fight of the night. Incredible. His first UFC victory over Oliver Aubin Mercier, who just won the PFL lightweight tournament. How about that? Then beat Dave Ramos, then beat Matt Frivola, then his first finish in the UFC, a two-minute blitz performance of the night TKO of Christios Giagos, then absolutely brutalized Joel Alvarez with another performance of the night. Um, did lose... To Matus Gamrot, but that was by a, it was a 48-47 unanimous decision, but it was highly debated who won that fight. Since that fight in 2022, picked up a big win over Demiris Magulov in uh, December 2022. Actually retired him. And then, uh, as we mentioned, Joachim Silva, who fights um, Clay Guidem. He took his uh, he took a short notice fight against Armin Tzukrian, who I can't remember who Armin was supposed to fight. I think it might have been Vanille Dariush. Might have been uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. Might have been a number of guys, but nonetheless, he fought him. He brutalized him. Armin's on a two-fight win streak. He's been looking good of late, and, you know, his skills are just unmatched. I like what I see from Armin. I think he just needs to work on the chin a bit because if Benil cracks you compared to Joaquim Silva, you might go out, but I'm still going to ride with Armin Tzukrian. And just because Benil Darius was just knocked out round number one, I'm going with a round two TKO for Armin Tzukrian. I like the kid. I like what I see from him, and I want to see him in the top five. I want to see him rematch Islam Makachev. He could definitely put up a better fight than Volkanovski did that second time around. Let me just tell you that. Let me tell you that for certain. Armin Tzukrian, you're the man we are riding with. I'm here for it, man. I love it. It should be a banger of a card. I'm riding with you, Armin, to get your ninth KO victory. Do it for the Armenians. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, that'll that'll do it. That'll do it. Let's just recap the picks. We got Jamie Lynn Horth um, beating Veronica Hardy by unanimous decision. Wellington Terman submitting Jared Gooden in round number one. Eeyore Portera gaining a round two knockout of Rodolfo Bellato. Melquis Costa submitting Steve Garcia in round number three. Jakar Close beating Joe Selecki by unanimous decision. Zach Reese knocking out Cody Brundage in round number one. 
Julia Avila winning a, we'll say, split decision against Misha Tate. Punahali Soriano knocking out Dustin Stolfus in round number two. Clay Guida submitting Joaquim Silva in round number two. Calvin Gastelum and Davison Figueredo both picking up unanimous decisions over Rob Font and uh, Sean Brady, respectively. Jalen Turner submitting Bobby Green on short notice in round number one. And Armin Tazukrian finally jumping into the top five with a round two TKO of Benil Dari. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping I, all my predictions come true. Will they? Will they? It's tough to say. I, I, I doubt it. I doubt they will, but um, who knows? Uh, magical things can happen. Um, but uh, yeah, always nice talking about stuff. And honestly, for not having a lot to talk about, this became a long episode. I find that crazy that I can just talk my way into things, you know? Talking about this event, talking about the NFL, talking about the end of my semester. It's um. It's all been a lot of fun. It's all been a lot of fun. But um, yeah, December begins tomorrow. A month of new things to come. I should really lock in this December. Try and get my money up. Try and get my mental state in an excellent place. Try and just get everything going right in life. Um, Christmas is coming up. It really puts me in a good mood. Christmas does. But there's just something about the cold. There's something about winter that always kind of gets me down. I don't know what it is. Sometimes I can't even place the feelings I feel. But I'll be hoping for a good holiday season. And I'm hoping that uh, this UFC event doesn't disappoint. Let's hope the NFL doesn't disappoint. And um, just good vibes coming all around. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Um, That's all we got. That's all we got. We'll end it just like that. As always, thank you so much for listening. Um, follow me on my socials. Follow me um, on Instagram, Zach underscore Ruger. You can add me on Snapchat. I think it's Zach underscore Ruger. Maybe it's just Zach Ruger on uh, Instagram. I have no idea. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Verdict. I'm on all the social medias. Heck, follow my LinkedIn. Shoot me an email. Who knows? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the Surprise Jab podcast. Oh, I messed that up. I messed that up a bit. How do I usually end it? Sometimes I can't remember. Thank you for listening on the Surprise Jab Podcast. That sounds good. Catch you all next time.